Welcome to today's online message from Long Eaton Oasis Christian Centre. We are a church at the heart of the community, with a heart for the community. And we're so glad that you've joined us. We hope that you'll be inspired and encouraged today. Please don't hesitate to contact us. If you want to find out more, you can visit our website, www.longeatonoasis.co.uk, or you can direct message us. It's great to have Pastor Jason Heron here this morning with his wife, uh, Emily, and daughter, Noah. Uh, they're, they're here. He's our visiting speaker today. Jason pastors uh, the Elam Church in Sheffield uh, City Centre. It's a good, he's, he's, I know he's, he's Jason's dad, Jason Heron, and Jason's from uh, Northampton uh, originally. And, uh, we, you know, we're really excited that he's here today. He's got something to bring from God, I'm sure. Uh, his heart to communicate what God has got to say today. So we're going to pray for him and then welcome him. And Lord, we just say thank you for Jason today. May he know a real sense of liberty and freedom and a real sense of, of acceptance of your spirit in this place yeah. and a freedom to share what you've laid upon his heart in the name of Jesus, we ask. And we open up our hearts to receive what he has to say today with expectation, anticipation, in by the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. Let's give him a round of applause Amen. as he comes up. Thank you very much. Oh, yes. Oh, there we go. Well, good morning. Well, as you heard, my name is Jason. Uh, I'm from Sheffield. Well, for the last uh, 14 or so months, uh, we used to live down south where no one talks to each other. Uh, and now we are from the north where everyone knows that's where God's from. Um, but yeah, so I've been married to Emily for five years. Uh, it doesn't sound like much, but five years of marriage, four different houses, three brain surgeries, and a two-year-old daughter, and so many hospital visits that I lost count. A lot has happened in five years. Uh, but as I say, we've got our two-year-old daughter, Noah, with us. Yes, that is a girl's name as well. Um, it is in the Bible. Look it up. Uh, I should probably know where it is as well. Um, but yeah, so it's it's so good to be here. Um, I've visited this church a number of times over the last few years. I say few years, most of 10 years or so. Um, and it's just been so kind to me every single time. Let's just thank you so much, uh, Adrian. If you've got a Bible, would you open it up to Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12. And we're just going to simply read verses 1 uh, to 2. We might read uh, number 3 if we're, if we're lucky. <laughs> Amazing. So I'm reading from ESV. There might be another version on the screen, but that's cool. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter, of our faith. Before I go into what I want to talk about today, I just want to highlight that the writer of this passage made a point of saying, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. He's made a point to say it's not simply sin that gets in the way of our relationship with God, but there are other things, things that might be perceived as good that can hinder your relationship with God. And so right here, he is raising the stakes to say, throw off everything Throw off every single thing that hinders your relationship with God, because that is the most important thing. He said, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter 
of our faith. And then it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In this short passage, we read what many Christians know all over the world and what we're told time and time again throughout the entirety of the Bible, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life that he has marked out. He has designed you specifically for a purpose that he has in mind and therefore has a race, has a path that he has for you. That's the beauty of the Christian life is that we're not actually meant to walk this road alone, but we have others around us. It says iron sharpens iron as another person sharpens another. But also we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in this journey. Scriptures like he leads me beside still waters. Another one, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Another one is when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so there's this sense that you have a purpose, you have a journey that God has set before you, and the Holy Spirit is like your guide. However, there are times in my life where I start treating God almost like a sat-nav. It's like when I get into my car, and every other week recently I've been driving to see Jordan because we've started doing a, a parenting podcast, and I know the way to his house by now. I've done it enough times. However, every single time I get into my house, I still load up my sat-nav. Why do I do that? Well, because I can switch off a little bit and drive with my mind off. But also, my sat-nav figures out where the traffic is. It finds any obstructions in my path and will divert me around it. And the problem is, in our faith with God, is we can almost begin to believe that God is like that. That he'll see the road ahead, he'll see the obstructions, he'll see the, the difficult times, and we expect him to navigate us around those paths. But if you've been a Christian for any number of years or any time, you would know that God isn't like that. In fact, quite often God will lead you through some pretty difficult times in order to shape us and mold us. And yet I have this habit, and I'm sure you might have it too, of when I find myself in those difficult times, when I find myself in those difficult seasons, I still ask the question of, God, why did you let this happen to me? I'm a good Christian. I go to church every week. And we can find ourselves falling into this pattern of going, actually, we expect God to treat us differently. We expect that God will remove the obstacles in our path. But the truth is, is that Jesus never promised that. Jesus never promised an easy life. He never promised that it would be without struggle. However, he did promise to always be with us. And so God's sole concern is not to get you to your destination as quick as possible. It's a cringy cliche to say it's not about the destination, but it's about the journey. But the truth is that God will often use the difficulties in our life to shape us, to mold us, to nudge us, to prune us, to trim us, to be the people that he has called us to be. You cannot be physically strong without resistance. The same is true mentally and spiritually. If you go through life avoiding all the obstacles, you won't be strong. But God often leads us through times of difficulty. So when future difficulties come, we may remain steadfast. To be firmly rooted in Christ means that you're going to face difficulties that test your faith. James 1, 2 says this, count it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect 
so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so in this passage of Hebrews, the writer is writing to a church that had once known what it was like to see God move. However, they have now become a little bit lukewarm and they're now pretty comfortable in the way that church is ran. They're not really as on fire as they used to be. And this passage here in chapter 12 is like a rallying cry to get the church to rise up again and take God seriously. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything. He is trying to rally the church to get on fire for God again. But also in the previous chapter, he gives us an idea of what it looks like to have run this race well. I'm going to read it to you in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this in verse 32. And what more shall I say? Do I not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Josephat, and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were were tortured. And so in the beginning half of that, he was saying to walk a successful life with God are these people who have conquered armies, they've uprooted enemies. However, he then turns to this. These are successful people in the eyes of God. There were others who were tortured refusing to be released so that he might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about with sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. He is trying to help us understand that to walk a faithful life in Christ isn't all roses. In fact, these are who we call heroes of the faith. They encountered trials of many kinds, and many of them faced death because of it. In other words, when you become a Christian, you're not promised to a trouble-free life, but you are called to a life that is worthy of everything that you can give. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for your happiness or for your comfortable life. He died for our forgiveness, for our righteousness. It was a high price that he paid. It wasn't so that we could just be comfortable. In other words, our definition of Christian success has to change. And we're surrounded today by so much media, so many sermons, many from across the pond that promise that following Jesus will lead you happy, healthy, and wealthy. The fact is, that's not exactly what the Bible teaches. I want to suggest today that many of us have built some of our faith on an incorrect foundation. You know, there's that famous story that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, the wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rain came, and the thunderstorm rose, but the house did not budge. Yet the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and when the storms came, so did the house. Many of us have built our faith on things that we have heard or worship songs that we have sung, but not necessarily the word of God. And so often when we find ourselves going through difficult times, uh, we hit what I like to call the wall of uncertainty or the wall of ignored uncertainty. Because when things are good and you have doubts about faith, it's easy to ignore them. Oh, it's all right, I'll get to that later. I'm not really sure what you mean about that, God, but we'll come to that another time. 
But when you go through a difficult time, all of those thoughts, all of those doubts hit you like a brick wall. God, are you really there? Are you really who you said you were? And so often it's because we've thought God was something that he's not. We've believed something which God hadn't said. In my first year of marriage, uh, I mentioned three brain surgeries. It was in my first year of marriage, uh, I noticed that my wife Emily used to walk into door frames. And uh, that was funny, you can laugh. (laughs) What wasn't funny is that she went to see the doctor and uh, he said, oh, there's something more serious to this. It turns out that she had what was called a Chiari malformation. Her, Her brain was getting trapped in her spinal cord, which had they not intervened, it would have led to serious conditions, being in a wheelchair, and then uh, eventually just much worse. And so they had a routine brain operation. (laughs) Uh, We didn't live too far away from London at the time, and so we happened to be in the uh, neurosurgery hospital. I forgot what it's called. Uh, So it wasn't too far to go, and she had this one brain surgery, and we went in believing that God's going to heal it, it's going to oversee it all, it's going to be fantastic. We'll be out of hospital in a few weeks, everything will be great. In reality, what happened is the first brain surgery went ahead. We, We went home, it looked to be all okay. And then one planned brain surgery turned into three unplanned emergency brain surgeries. Weeks turned into months, and I went on that train so many times that it almost became automatic. Uh, I would wake up the same time as the commuters that were heading into London, and I would sit up. This was when the trains were going on strike as well, the drivers. It was packed and very sweaty. But I would sit on that train, traveling in to see my wife, who was awake for probably two, three minutes at a time, and then to be out of it for a few hours. And I would think about that verse, consider it pure joy. And it wasn't pure joy. (laughs) I thought, God, where are you in this? This is difficult. This is hard. If this is what being a follower of Jesus is, I'm not sure if I can actually stay the course. But lo and behold, two more brain surgeries later, and Emily comes home and everything's all right. And we kind of recover from it. But more importantly, we learn an important lesson in that. Because before that situation, we believed naively that God would just heal everything and make everything okay. And yet when you're faced with a trial, knowing that God can heal, but he doesn't, it causes you to question not simply God, but the scriptures. And when you look even further, you find that God doesn't promise to heal in every situation on this earth, but he does promise a hope and a future in the next. And so we're caused to adjust our focus and hold that tension that God does heal today, but he also allows some situations to do their course. It's like this dichotomy in Christianity of we know one thing is now, but also not yet. A few years later, um, in fact two years ago, my daughter was um, unexpectedly born in the middle of A&E. No one knew she was coming, not even me or my wife. And it was in the middle of COVID, so I couldn't be with her. For the first five minutes of her life, no one except my wife knew she was there. For the first 10 minutes of her life, she didn't have a heartbeat. And for the next eight or nine weeks, she was really fighting for her life. Uh, She had sepsis twice. She'd been uh, resuscitated a number of times, many in front of me and uh, Emily. And finally, we got to take her home. And I remember we were taking her home. We were still living um, in Hertfordshire at the time. And we were so overjoyed. 
We had gone through all those questions of, God, why are you allowing this to happen again? We're in this situation again. God, I thought you could heal. And then we finally go home, and it's almost like everything's better again. A few days later, we end up back in hospital, and it was my turn to take her in. And I was sat in a room in A&E when my four-and-a-half-pound daughter stopped breathing. And I froze. And at that moment, a nurse happened to come into the room and took Noah off me and resuscitated her and got her breathing again, got her heart going again. And that was the moment where I broke. Uh, I was working for a church at the time uh, on the team pastoring. And in that moment, I quit. We relocated to my in-law's house. We lived in their garage for eight months with me, my wife, and my daughter, why we all just recovered. And all the while asking that question of considerate pure joy. See, it's really difficult to know that you have a steadfast faith if you've not been tried. I've quit Christianity many times. (laughs) It's not that easy to do. But when we read that passage again from James... It says, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. The road of our Christian faith is littered with trial, is littered with difficulties and struggles, But God promises to always be with us in the middle of those trials. When we look at the heroes of our faith, they are not without their trials. And one of the things that I uncovered, one of the foundations that I had built my life and faith around, was that I believed God's sole purpose in my life was for me to be happy. And the thing is, God doesn't promise you happiness. He promises you joy. Happiness is circumstantial. It's based on your emotions. Yet the joy that God promises surpasses all of those things. And so when we set our sights, like Jesus did, on the joy that was set before him, he was able to endure the pain of the cross and do what God had called him to do. There's that famous verse, but Nehemiah 8, 10 says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. So in order to wrap this up, God's plan for your life, which he does have a plan for you, he has a purpose for you, it's not for you to avoid trial, it's not for you to avoid difficulties, but it's in order to shape you to be the person that he has called you to be. When we talk to people about our faith, when we talk to friends and family and colleagues that don't know Jesus and they see the trials in our life, Our faith speaks 10 times more when we've been through difficulties and we're still here standing. Because you could ask the question of Jason, we thought we were coming to hear a nice message today and I feel quite depressed right now. (laughs) But the truth is, we've been through those trials in our life, but right now I can quite honestly say we we, we lack for nothing. We lack for nothing in our lives. We live in a nice house. Our daughter is healthy and happy. We, we serve in a, in a good church. Things are going really well. But just like Paul, we have learned to be content with nothing. That is the true joy that God offers us. That regardless of the circumstances that you face, you're still joyful in God. 
I want to end with this verse. I wonder if the band will join me as well. 1 Peter 3, 18 says this. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, in whose presence is fullness of joy, and at whose right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's 1 Peter 3.18 and Psalm 16 mashed together. And just like the writer of Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders. That includes our doubts, that includes our struggles. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. You can't get perseverance without going through trials. The race marked out first. And he ends with the how to do it all. This is how we do all of this journey. By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I just want to invite you as the band leaders in another song. I don't know what trials or situations that you've been through. Maybe you're in the middle of a difficult season right now. And you might be asking that question of God, where are you? It's really difficult to make sense of your circumstance when you're in it. It's sometimes even more difficult once you've been through it and still ask the questions of why. But I know without a shadow of doubt that throughout all the difficulties that I've faced in my life, God has been in control of all of it. Been maneuvering and working, weaving. He's been working out his purposes and his plans. And do you know what? I'm okay with that. This morning, uh, me and Jordan were on uh, BBC Nottingham Radio and uh, it was about parenting and uh, the presenter asked us the question, if you were to do it again, would you do something differently? And quite honestly, the answer is no. When it comes to our faith and we ask ourselves that question, if we were to do it again, would you do it differently? The truth is, everything I have now in my life, everything, who I am, all the things that I have to show for, are a result of those difficulties. So would I do it differently? I'd rather just skip past it. (laughs) But no. Because actually through the trial, God's plan has been able to come to fruition. And so as the band leaders, you might want to stand, you might want to sit. But maybe there's unresolved tensions with you and God. Those doubts that we've just put to a side and we've just said we'll save those for later. Now might be a good time to bring them up. Now might be a good time to say, God, you know what? I don't understand why you did that. I don't understand how you brought me through this. But God, I just trust you. And so I'm going to pray and I'll let the band lead us. Father, we want to thank you so much that, Father, you endured the cross. so that we might be allowed to have a relationship with you, that we might be able to stand before you free and forgiven and without shame. But Lord, I also pray today that you would help identify the areas of our life that have become stumbling blocks to us. God, the situations that have stopped us from sharing or talking about your goodness. And Lord, I just pray that as we worship, God, we would learn to see the difficult seasons in our life. God, the pain and the struggle. We wouldn't see them as hindrances to our walk. 
but God, we would see them as platforms for your glory. And so God, I finally ask that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Amen.